lights, camera, stone cold stunner. Hello everyone, I am the Decadane and welcome to the first of a special collection of Bunker Mania Wrestling Podcasts where we'll be leaving the squared circle and we're heading to the big screen for Bunker Mania Wrestling Goes to the Movies. So in each of these special podcasts, I'll be joined by a tag team partner where we'll look at a WWE studio movie starring legendary wrestlers and ask, importantly, if they're any good. As well as sharing our thoughts, we'll also share the odd bit of movie and wrestling trivia and info as we go along. And joining me as my first tag team partner for Bunker Mania Wrestling Goes to the Movies, it can only be the giraffe me, Jeremy Graves. Jeremy, how are you doing? Not so bad, sir. Not so bad. I am. I am looking forward to going to the movies in a in a fun piece of trivia to really get going. The film we're talking about today, I'm pretty sure, is the first ever WWE films production I've ever watched. Oh wow, we're going that we're going down a rabbit hole for you today, aren't we? Aren't we flipping just? <laughs> I mean, let's let's do a quick side tangent on this because one of the things that kind of inspired me to do this sort of show, and I've been wanting to do like a series of like wrestling specials just to look at these movies in particular. Now it was a birthday party of mine several years ago. I can't remember which year. They all blow into one at, at my age now, but I distinctly remember getting quite a load of particular movies from a certain group of friends, including, mind you, this tag team partner that's with me today, Jeremy. So I, I got I got all heaps of WWE movies. Like, like I think we got the Marines trilogy. I think we got Marines 1, 2, and 3. Um, I'm trying to think what other ones that I kind of got. I just, I got the reunion with John Cena. I got, I got a shit ton of these. And it's like, great. <laughs> I need an excuse to try and watch these now. And it's like, why not do a podcast show? Huzzah! If you give me a few seconds, I might be able to tell you exactly what I got you. <laughs> I mean, truth be told as well, I've, I've brought a couple of these as well, just simply because it's like, A, I'm morbidly curious about what they are. So it's like, I'm, I'm proud to sit here and say I might have brought 12 rounds, one, two with Randy Orton and three with Dean Ambrose, now John Moxley, locked down. Um, I've tried to think what ones before. I I I I enjoy the animated WWE Studios co-productions that they did with Hanna Barbera. So we had the Flintstones, where CM Punk I think was in the Flintstones. You had two Scooby Doo mysteries. You had WrestleMania mystery and Curse of the Speed Demon. Curse of the Speed Demon has the best appearance by the Undertaker outside of a WWE wrestling product. Bar none. It is. It's like how did how did how did they do that with the Undertaker? And the Undertaker did not just go. I don't like this. It's breaking cave fabe. Um, so there's that. And oh, and then there was Jetsons with Robomania, where the Big Show was transported from the past into the future, and then they had to go back in time and get animated Roman Reigns and friends to come save the day. But yeah. So I can tell you exactly what we got you. Okay. Having looked through an order history of mine. So, we got you the Marine Trilogy. Yeah. One, one, two, and three. We also got you the Marine Four. Oh. <laughs> we also got you Bending the Rules. Oh, yes. Which which is going to be coming up on these uh, specials very, very soon. It's I think it might be our next episode after this one. We also got you a double pack of 12 rounds and 12 rounds two reloaded. Oh, joy, yes. <laughs> we also got you 12 rounds three lockdown. <laughs> God. We also got you the reunion. <laughs> we also got you inside out. Oh, yeah, Triple H one. 
And the final DVD we got you is what we are discussing today, that being The Condemned. Yes. Now, I think with some of those you, you got me, I think the ones that I had duplicates of, I think I donated to like um like a conventions wrestling kind of panel. So like, have them as a prize or an auction item, take them away because I already got them. I appreciate the sentiment, but it's just like, I don't, it's like, I have these on Blu-ray. I can see the, I can see the shiteness in HD. I don't need to see it in low quality DVD now, but I appreciate the thought and I love you for that. Thank you, Jeremy. And, and if, the, if they ever do listen to this show, uh, Keith and Claire, thank you so much. But um, yes, why, let's, let's just move on to, to the movie at hand. So what's the movie we're looking at today? We're looking at 2007's The Condemned, uh, starring the legendary Hall of Fame himself, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now I'm looking a quick look at some of these credits here on the people involved this is directed by scott wiper who also directed the marine three home front that's the one i think that's the first one with the miz i believe uh before the miz went on his like long run of doing the marine films up until i think marine six with uh, Shawn michaels and becky lynch i have seen that one that that's a hoot for another story and another episode again i've only ever watched one now wwe film and it's this one the condemned so all, all of this is just like oh my god the, the possibilities it's it's just, it's the wwe cinematic universe it's like you're, you're missing a world here jeremy you're missing a world here. But um, yeah, notable co-stars on this as well. Um, from the casting, uh, of course, we've got as one of the main antagonists, and we'll talk about him a bit later on, we've got good old-fashioned Vinnie Jones. Uh, we also have now, for any Arrow fans out there, we actually have Deathstroke himself, Maonu Bennett, uh, was also in this as well. And uh, Sullivan Stapleton, who had a side role in this, he's actually the lead in 300 Rise of an Empire. So all of they, all of those people popped up in this film. So yes, this is a Stone Cold Steve Austin film. And this, 2007, where we're looking at his career at this moment in time, obviously he had his retirement match at Mania 19 in 2003 against The Rock. Kind of stepped away from in-ring competition. He had a bit of a, a dueling feud with Eric Bischoff in the months that followed. I think that culminated at um, Survivor Series, where it was like Team Bischoff against Team uh, Stone Cold. Um, and, and essentially, he was kind of just, he was about, but just not not really being like the uh, the Stone Cold that we, we knew and loved, simply because I think at that time, his neck injury really had caught up with him and yeah. it's kind of like he had to he had to step away from the ring and it was austin, so, austin and his quad bike yes uh so ultimately i think at this at this stage i think he was sort of starting the transition into a proper movie acting or moving into more entertainment fare um i mean he it, this isn't this isn't new to him it wasn't new to him at the time because before before the condemn came out he had a, a notable role in the adam sandler remake of the longest yard as an evil prison guard in 2005 that also starred Kevin Nash. Didn't that, did, didn't, didn't that also have great Carly in it, I seem to recall? It did. It did. Why do I remember that? What the heck? Carry on, sorry, but what the heck? Of all the things. <laughs> but um, yeah, even during his WWE run, he did some short TV stints. Um, so he was one of Don Johnson's best buds in Nash Bridges, the old <laughs> cop TV show. He appeared in six episodes as Jake Cage. And um, a character, apparently, random fact, because the viewing numbers for his episodes were very good, CBS offered him a full spin-off, but he <laughs> turned it down to focus on the wrestling. He knows where his bread's buttered. <laughs> <laughs> 
but he's he's also popped up in shows like VIP with Pamela Anderson. Um, he's appeared as himself in MTV Celebrity Deathmatch. I think the first the first one of the show because um, I know they did the revival, but he didn't turn up in the Celebrity Deathmatch was an amazing show. He also and probably not a good thing to raise right now in 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 recent news, but he also appeared in like the final couple of episodes of Dilbert, the animated show, hmm. as Judge Stone Cold Steve Austin who had to decide whether or not the baby inside Dilbert needed to be given up to the authorities or not. I don't know. I forget the episode. Uh, I, I think I do have it on DVD, the cartoon series, but it wasn't a good showing. It really wasn't a good showing. <laughs> yeah, less than about um, Dilbert nowadays, the better. So after The Condemned, Stone Cold had uh, a few more prominent roles. Uh, he was the main henchman in The Expendables in 2010. Um, but he had a lot of other sort of leading roles in these sort of direct-to-DVD thrillers. There was Hunt to Kill. There was The Stranger. There was The Package. There was Damaged. Um, but uh, and, and, and other movies, other movies, I have a list here as well. There's Maximum Conviction in 2012 with Steven Seagal. Oh no. Uh, there was, if you want to, if listeners, if you want to see Stone Cold without a beard, knock out the 2011 film. He literally does not have a beard. He just has a tiny soul patch. It is creepy. It is scary. And I, and, and I don't think I'll ever be the same again. Uh, he also reappeared in Adam Sandler's uh, universe in Grown Ups 2 in 2013. And also the YouTubers out, YouTuber fans out there, smosh the movie in 2015. Huh. All right. Huh. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think Stone Cold's career, movie-wise, never really reached the limits of, say, Rock or Cena. But he clearly gave it a go. Um, and yeah, I think he's settled more into TV nowadays because he's done Broken Ranch Challenge. I think he's doing a new A&E show where he's just going around America and just kind of doing all sorts of Stone Cold stuff <laughs> with, with the locals. It's like, I want to do Stone Cold Bowling. Yeah! And that sort of way. But I think a lot of people know him now. I think, obviously, they know him as a WWE wrestler and a legend. But it's, I think his podcasting is probably the thing a lot of people kind of uh, kind of focus on a lot because he's done the specials. He still does, like, the Broken Skull sessions on WWE Network. Again, I think there's a really good in-depth kind of really cool interviews. I mean, there's been a couple of... I think during the early episodes, there were a couple of, like, slight misfires, I think. I think the Dean Ambrose interview was a little bit... It uh, wasn't particularly good. I think both sides kind of didn't come into that with the right thing. Yeah, it was more the live episodes that kind of went a bit off the chain a bit. But if they were pre-recorded, yeah. generally they were they were pretty good. Yeah, I think some of the ones I've enjoyed watching lately, um, the Sami Zayn one's been really good to watch, uh, the Cody Rhodes one as well, and even even the two. I think Undertaker did like two sessions with with Stone Cold. Where they just sat there, they're just drinking whiskey or they're drinking Broken Skull Ranch beer, and they're just. They're just shooting the shit. They're just shooting the shit about wrestling and 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 how things went down. It's really cool. So yeah, so the the condemned is is a strange is a strange kind of entry in Stone Cold sort of uh, sort of little uh, filmography, I suppose. But there's another WWE wrestler in this film. Do you know who? I'm sure I do, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But I vaguely recall going, "Huh, they're here," but I I cannot remember for the life of me who it is. Does the name Nathan Jones ring a bell? Now you said the name out loud, yes. But otherwise, I'll be honest, that wasn't who I was thinking. So clearly, I was just talking a lot of codswallop. It's okay. So Nathan Jones, uh, big Australian big Australian muscle presence in a film, bald as well. Uh, he debuted for WWE in 2003, uh, quickly put into the storyline with The Undertaker as so some sort of protege 
in his feud with A-Train and Big Show. Had a big WrestleMania program lined up. <laughs> yep. And then they changed it to a handicap match because they realized that Nathan probably wasn't ready for the in-ring action just yet. Um, so he did do some work on uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling as well. But he did come back towards the tail end of 2003. He teamed with Paul Heyman. He was put into Brock Lesnar's Survivor Series team with A-Train, Big Show, and... Matt Morgan, the blueprint, I believe, against uh, Kurt Angle's team. Um, but ultimately, that it all kind of ended within that year because he left WWE at the end of the year because he wasn't really a keen fan of the hard travel schedules. Um, obviously, coming from Australia, being away from your family a lot, obviously, understandably, it's not particularly it, it's not particularly for everyone. So I think at that stage, Nathan Jones did step away from WWE. I think he did some short little bits and pieces of wrestling, but it, it just didn't really kind of... Uh, take off any further yeah and he's a big lad as well so we've we've heard in the past from not to sidebar too much but the amount of wrestlers you've heard from who are big lads just in general have always said the travel is the hardest part i mean big show has talked about it numerous times how just the travel and speaking myself as someone who's like six foot seven six foot eight it it ain't easy doing long haul travel quite frankly no not at all not at all. I'm I'm six I'm six four. Mm. So it's like I I don't like the long travel either unless I have nice legroom seats. Um, but since then, Nathan Jones has gone on to do a, a lot of supporting roles in films. So he's been in The Protector with Tony Jaa. Uh, he's appeared in Fearless with Jet Li. Uh, he has a very noticeable role in Mad Max Fury Road as Rictus Erectus and. Uh, recent films, including uh, Netflix's Spiderhead with uh, Chris Hemsworth, and also Return to the Man Max Universe with Furiosa. I think it's a prequel to Fury Road that's coming mm. out very, very soon. Also, I think with Chris Hemsworth. But yeah, so that's that's those are your wrestlers in the film. So I, I've done a lot of talking for this the, these first fifteen odd minutes. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Jeremy. Jeremy, I would like you to tell me, without going into full crazy spoilers just yet, what was this film about? If you're a convicted felon from somewhere in the world, but you're a really, really bad felon, chances are you're going to get picked up by a man with a lot of money, a lot of black market cash, you're going to get thrown onto an island, and you got to kill each other for sport, for fun, while the early days of the internet live streaming world indulge in their depraved minds for wanting to watch blood sport. Or you could just call it the adult American version of Battle Royale if you really wanted to without school children. Either way, it it's a film about showing how depraved humanity can get. And in also many ways, which I'm sure is a point we're going to get onto, watching it with 2023 eyes, it's very interesting looking at what the perception of what live streaming something like this could be. Yes, because that's I think that's one of the first things that I, that I kind of took away from from the condemned. Um, so we'll, we'll touch on it just yet. So basically, so yeah, the ba- the basic premise: we've got a, a, a crazy billionaire who wants to do his own sort of pay per view event. He's brought prisoners out of jail for this uh, life or death struggle. He saw he's put nine people on an island. Basically, last one standing after two days gets their freedom and a, and a and a bucket ton of cash and for certain and, and among these nine among these nine you've got a very psychotic sas officer played by vinnie jones uh, i think nathan jones is one of the uh, one of the aggressive uh prisoners as well um but you also got a very quietly kind of biding biding his time and kind of reserved stone cold steve austin just going i'm, I'm just here for 
I just want to go home in that sort of way. He's, he's just, he's not really there to do much apart from, I just want to go home in that sort of sense. Um, and yes, obviously it gets live streamed, it sends out to the audience, but it's not a simple competition, is it? It never is in these films because hijinks go around and may, maybe, maybe this show isn't as healthy as it's supposed to be, according to the, according to the billionaire who's trying to run it as well. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, the, the, the big first talk, I think generally just, just without, before we go really dive into like the film proper, did you enjoy this film? Define enjoy. <laughs> Is it? I mean, I can, I can say the same thing myself. Um, was this in any way a good film? I think this film has some moments of interesting action. There is the odd good concept of a plot device and i say concept very loosely in that but as a film i can't say i enjoyed it it was actually in places actually difficult to watch which was only echoed by like two characters in the whole film essentially not Mm. to delve too much into the plot but it's it wasn't an enjoyable watch I, i watched it because i was obviously one, doing this, but two, it was always something I wanted to watch, but I genuinely thought this was going to be more kind of like a a bit more of just like an action film, like, you know, maybe with some cool one-liners, a bit of fun about it, maybe a bit more tongue-in-cheek. I was not expecting the incredibly serious overtone that this film actually had, and I think that really that sort of caught me off guard, and uh, no, I can't say I enjoyed it, but again, watching it as... Watching it through 2020, 2023 eyes, excuse me, and looking at the perception of sort of that kind of thing in life from someone's point of view, I guess, of circa 2006, 2007, it, it's quite fascinating how things have and haven't changed in nearly 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, because I, I, I actually, I brought this on Blu ray when it first came out, I think 2008, because it came out to US cinemas in 2007. I think it's the only territory that actually got a cinema release. We'll, we'll dive a little bit more into box office and, and budgets and that a little bit later on. Um, but I, I remember buying this on Blu-ray and I remember watching it and kind of just going, okay, yeah, this is, this is fine. I didn't, I didn't really kind of write home. Cause again, it's like, I just, I think I was sold more novelty of stone cold in a film and he's being a badass action here. It's like, okay. Uh, young me at that time, I think I might've been about 20, 20, uh, 2007. I think I was in my twenties at some point there. Like again, time is an illusion to me. Um, so I think I, I, I kind of watched it on, on that, on that prefaces and yeah, I, I was fine with it. I didn't, again, I, I didn't remember much about it other than, oh yeah, Stone Cold's in it, Vinnie Jones is in it, and and Nickelback played at the end. And that's all I really what, what, Was it actually Nickelback? Yeah, Nickelback saving me. It's on, it's on my Spotify playlist. Oh, I just, I genuinely thought it was just like a Nickelback rip-off. I didn't actually realise it was them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. yeah, they had the budget. They had the budget for that one. It's not a pop, it's not a, a memorable Nickelback song, but I kind of liked it because I remembered it was kind of like, for me, from a thematic point of view, it kind of sounded like a like a reluctant hero coming home after hmm. a while. To, but anyway, I digress. To make a random point, because it's interesting what you said, and it's something I was going to bring up later, but the fact you said you remembered watching it because it had Stone Cold in it, it had Vinnie Jones. Like, I remember seeing the advertising for this all the time on WWE programming. Even over here on Sky, they were still showing it quite a bit, which is quite funny in hindsight. But 
that's the only reason I would have gone out to watch this film. And it is akin, actually, to how all you've got to do is say, this wrestler's in this film, or this person you know, and you'll probably go and watch it. It really taps into that type of marketing of specific personality being involved in a project. It's like nowadays, mm. if you check out a podcast because you hear, insert X celebra- celebrity X, as it were, is, in, is a guest on it, you'll probably check it out. Because you're like, oh, okay, well, let's see what that's about. Or if you hear someone's doing an interview podcast and they're interviewing someone you like, oh, I'll check it out because they're on there and I want to hear what they're going to talk about. It's very much akin to that. Yeah, and it's like, and going back, going back to your point about just like watching it in 2023 eyes, this film is, this film hits differently on it. It's basically, it, 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 it's not, a, it's not, it's not the, it's not the, the all out action ride that the trailers and the marketing would lead you to believe because this film is, and, and, and I, and I said, and I, and, and I'm, I'm going to put this money. This is not a nice film. No, this is not a nice film in the, in, in the slightest. Um, in terms of the aspects of violence, I think there are some scenes of violence towards female characters, which is deeply unpleasant. Yep. Uh, uh, I think even as the competition starts, there's there's one moment there, and then there is there is more of a, a character defining moment of Vinnie Jones's SAS uh, officer just re- just really destroying this sort of husband and wife character duo that we have in the film. It's the brutal. Yeah, the, the husband is played by um, Mal, Mal Bennett, who I mentioned earlier. Um, and that scene in particular is, is uncomfortable. It really, ha- it really is. And, they, and, they, and, they, and in the film, they show characters who are watching, or the tech team that are watching this film, they are, show, they are clearly uncomfortable about it as well. Um, but it's, 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 it's not nice. It really isn't. Um, and he, and even as even even going further than that in terms of the violence, a lot of a lot of this cast by the end of it are dead, and it's not because of the, it's not because of the competition aspect. It's like it, ultimately things get a little bit out of hand. They think they have a winner, but said winner is still quite violent. And there again, there's this very very uncomfortable scene where this character is quite frankly, gunning down a lot of the tech crew. Tech crew are a little bit misguided, and yeah, one or two of them do deserve a little bit of a comeuppance. But the manner, the manner it happens, it's just like, this isn't like a villain just being a villain. This is basically, this is a deeply unpleasant character. And obviously it's supposed to sell this idea of obviously the condemned are these, these terrible human beings, these very terrible human beings. And it's... There's no, there's no, there's no sense of like, I'm trying to find the right word. There's no sense of, the film doesn't give you any sense of, and this is, this, this, I think this sums up. This film doesn't really give you a sense of hope for humanity, to be perfectly honest. That, that is an excellent encapsulation of it. And it's like I was saying earlier in, it's just a very dark film. And Mm. there's hardly any moments where, like there's the, the, I mean, look, okay, to give an example of one of the, the sort of fun moments of the film, which happens very early on, it's one of the first times we meet Stone Cold's character after he's beaten up a prisoner in a prison cell because he had like a bunch of people set on him. But this is when he's taken to meet like the main baddie and he's sort of being interviewed as to his background. Who are you? Why were you in El Salvador? This is the dialogue exchange between main bad guy and Stone Cold's character. I think it's Jack or something like that. So the villain... What were you doing in El Salvador? 
Austin's character, working on my tan. Villain says, Why'd you blow up the building, though? Austin's character says, It was blocking my son. The villain then says, What do you do for a living, Jack? Austin's character responds with, I'm an interior decorator. It's not good dialogue by any means, but it was relatively funny with the way Stone Cold was saying it. And that's when I kind of thought, okay, this is going to be one of those films. I'm game for it. And then literally, within the next 15 seconds, the villain character gets annoyed and tells his publicist to come up with a backstory that involves him having murdered like three towns, killed a bunch of women and children, done some utterly awful things, and is like part of the like the KKK or something. It's like, what? Like, that's a freaking hard left turn. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when I then thought, oh, like, this isn't this isn't gonna be fun fun, is it? That that was my no. first indication of it. And so that, that was kind yeah. of that was the fall from grace from there. Well, it wasn't even grace, but that was the fall from there, if you will. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not. It's like I said, it's not a comfortable film to to watch. Mm. And again, it's like saying the word you enjoy is is a hard thing to say. I think overall, we watching it now, my opinion of the film's dropped a little bit because there are other little bits and pieces that I wasn't particularly on board with. Uh, now than I was back then. Um, it's certainly, it's certainly uh, a product of its time, if I may say that. It is. It is. And I think around 2007, I think we were still in like the reality TV craze where a lot of reality TV was just coming at us left, right, and, and right, left, right, and center, all that sort of stuff. And, and yeah, and I think again, it's like, it's the controversy. Controversy creates cash in a, in a sort of way. And think, and like violence and sexuality right in your face per se. Um, so obviously, um, yes, maybe maybe the film's trying to make a make a stab at critiquing this. And there is a scene towards the end where there is a new supporter who who interviews the billionaire, which doesn't go well to begin with at the start of the film. But then comes around and goes, having watched this, having watched this live stream, are we the condemned? And <laughs> and it's like. It's just, it's just the film trying to make a point of saying, how dare you watch this? How dare you? It's like, well, it's like you've clearly made it like this wasn't wasn't a fun film to watch in the first thing. So don't turn around and say, how dare you watch this? It's just like, I, I get I get that it's trying to have like, uh, like a, a moral message. It's trying to give a message on morality to, to audiences and even to the characters, but it just, it feels ham-fisted. It really does at this point by the time you get to the end of the film. Yeah, it's just... This was clearly trying to send a message of some kind, but the way it went about sending the message, it didn't make you want to receive the message as a viewer. I, uh, there was no. a point in the film where I'm just like, is this going to be done soon? Not in a... What's the way to phrase this to, to elaborate? Not in a... I kind of just want the film to end, I'm done, but more just a, what the heck else can they do? Like, they've kind of covered a lot of, you know, if you had like a bingo card of how many ways can you think of people being beaten up or broken down and whatnot, or this kind of character you're going to see, there weren't many more bingo boxes left to check, quite frankly. You kind of seen the majority of it, so, but it still kept going, and you're just like, okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the the one of the things that we we've talked about, we haven't really probably focused on in this film, is is the whole sort of this online streaming show 
that the fi- that the film is presenting, like the condemned. The condemned is the name of the of the show the billionaire is producing, and he wants like forty million views. He wants Super Bowl numbers for this online stream that costs you fifty dollars. A lot of freaking watch. money. <laughs> A lot of freaking money, especially in the economy. Um, it, it's like. This was around 2007. So Netflix had just started its streaming service. We were four years away from the launch of Twitch. Um, so this is like the dawn, I think, around the dawn area of like streaming really started to take off. And it's like, understandably, it's obviously of its time, but the streaming site itself is a little bit shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, it's just one feed. I mean, another thing to elaborate on as well is the setup yeah. for how this comes about. Because I mentioned sort of in my elevator pitch, like people are chucked on an island. Yeah. This billionaire has found an island somewhere like in Southeast Asia and has brought in like his best friend, quote unquote, to basically rig the entire island with like between 150 and 200 cameras. And that guy is basically being the guy on like the, the the telecaster, if you will, just like choosing the different camera angles, like what's being shown on the live feed. And so that's kind of the setup for this. So you already know, okay, well, this, this guy is clearly minted and has got a lot of money, and he's just going to live stream it and just wants to make a crud ton of money watching people being killed for sport. Quite frankly, they want people to try and watch this in a time we know now is four years before Twitch was a thing and that live streaming was as accessible as a concept as it is now. And it's interesting how they put it across, but just the people running the operation, you just, you don't root for them. That there are, There's one character as a whole that you root for in like the, in the operation, if you will, of the entire crew that the billionaire has. And that is... Mini spoiler by the end, his ex-girlfriend slash partner, I assume. But, and maybe like the billionaire's best friend who is like running the thing, you kind of get sympathy for him. But in the end, he's just like, I just want to be done with this. Let's just get it done. Which was kind of my attitude when it got to a point in the film. Yeah, I mean, for the friend, it doesn't end up well, because I think he, he does decide to grow a conscious afterwards, but then ultimately I think gets like, gets stabbed or shot by, by, Billionaire security. So basically the billionaire, by the time it's all done and he knows the shit's hitting the fan, he's just going, you know what? I'm getting the F off this island with all my money before anyone comes along and shoots him. Oh, look, they're stone cold with a gun. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. I w- so we're jumping forward a bit. I won't lie. When Stone Cold arrives at the camp, like the base camp, if you will, and like it, it's the billionaire and his like military associate who we know nothing about, starting to like head to the helicopter i was expecting we're gonna have like a big fight between these two it's gonna last for a while we're gonna see some wild stuff and it's just three shots in the chest and he's dead it's like oh right you clearly you clearly, <laughs> all right, you clearly ran out of budget all right <laughs> yeah it's like you, you think he's gonna have a proper a proper fist fight with, with vinnie jones but when he just goes is vinnie jones sit down in that chair you're a bad man and vinnie jones goes yes i know i'm a bad man what are you gonna do and Stockholm just puts a whole clip into him you've been a very like, naughty boy <laughs> it's like you've been a very naughty boy Vinny. i know i have bang oh no not again i know i have i'm british <laughs> i'm the evil one <laughs> on, on. i used to be in guy witchy films we we know Vinny. we know <laughs> oh but yeah i mean it's i i find that i'm the reality the reality tv streaming aspect of it i just find it's it's quite funny to look back on 
And when you go at, at the time when you when I when I probably watched the film when I when I first watched it many years ago, probably about two thousand eight, I kind of went, okay, yeah, that's kind of believable. But now it's like, how advanced streaming's gone on now? Because obviously we use platforms like for us when we do the live shows, we do Streamyard over onto YouTube and stuff like that. It's like the way to create content, create content of like a TV, even movie level quality now is so so evolved now so evolved over like the 10 15 years since this film has come out um and it's 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 staggering it's like this is like a small little this is the this is the starting footprint this is one of the little early looks of how people are in were embracing like the online streaming kind of internet community and now here we are in a time when you can literally do a live stream via your phone when you're out and about in town for example it it it, yeah. it it very it very much dates itself. But that said, it is also an interesting look uh, at the perception of live streaming at that point. I mean, I recall this is going back a bit, circa two thousand and four, when I was living in America, studying at school for a year. Uh, I remember watching the webcast of WWE SummerSlam via www.com i bought the webcast and watched it on my laptop in quote-unquote janky quality because that's what live streaming was at that point so there is like a very weird parallel to that and i remember doing something like that but at the same time man i'm glad technology evolved in one sense because you know (laughs) it's far easier to watch something now but yeah and also 50 dollars for this like you know it's like, yeah, forty. You get to you get to forty million viewers by now. So forty million times fifty. I dread to think. I don't really want to do the maths on this episode, but it's like he does end up making a shit ton of money. I mean, he doesn't live long enough to spend that shit ton of money. Mm. To be perfectly honest, because he gets blown up in a helicopter at the end, which is justly deserved, by the way. So okay, <laughs> so this brings up an interesting question to sort of talk about, like a story element here. Why is said evil billionaire? doing this i i don't think we ever get a reason or if we get a reason it's not really hammered home i think basically it's just i think i get the i got the impression from it's like he's done the sort of controversial shows before and he's trying to take it to the next level or basically take it to like the extreme the extreme (laughs) with team extreme no uh controversial levels per se um so yeah it's just you don't get a sense of why he finds doing this fascinating. It's, like, it's not really... It's the, the, the simple reason for him is money. Money, infamy, and the fame aspect of being able to put on something as murderous as this. And that's basically, I think, his, his main character-driven uh, goal in the film. And a word you said then really sums this up. Why? There are so many moments in this film where you just go, why? Like, why why is that character why is this character here why are the why is this character a couple yeah how did they meet why is this person aligned with this you know why are these tech people aligned with this dude in the first place there are so many whys but you know do do you ever actually find out what you want to know about various things i don't think you do and even if you do it's not very satisfactory it's the whole thing again with stone cold's character and it's obviously at the start of the film we're led to believe that he is a uh, just a construction worker who, on work abroad, inadvertently got into some sort of fight or horrific situation with people, and he's on death row. 
ultimately it's revealed by snoopy reporters who have their own side plot who we don't really give a damn about they're just there going oh i've been looking into these characters and this is what i've discovered um they've they've all kind of put the the dot they've put all the 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 clues together and lined the dots and gone oh wait stone cold's character is actually part of the special forces unit for the government and it's like okay but i don't really i don't still feel like i want to root for stone cold because he's he's just just going yep 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 I'm going to kill you. Yep. Yep. I'm going to go home now. Let's knuckle back. <laughs> That's basically it. That's, I mean, he's a, he's a reluctant hero that doesn't want to do violence. And I, and I get there's an element stage where he doesn't want to kill people. I mean, it's like the first person he, he faces off in the, in the competition is against the husband from the husband and wife team. And he doesn't, he, he just, he, he just disarms him and just says, look, I don't want to fight. You want to go find your wife, go find your wife, but I'm going to try and find a way to kill off this island. And that's it. So you kind of get he wants to be that reluctant hero, but I don't know. I just it just I think that I think the shocking thing for me is that with Stone Cold's charisma, and he has such charisma in the ring, there wasn't a way to tap into that for this role for this character to kind of like like I said, give this character make this character like this sign of hope or this potential hope that hey, not everyone on this island is a bloodthirsty maniac. That is an interesting point in and of itself, because I'm going to try and use a bit of a random analogy here, but with a lot of things when it comes to the entertainment as an art form, actors can be incredible, can do incredible things, can channel into various bits of emotion, but if they've got to work with a crap script or crap material, it's really difficult to, to turn the crap into a really nice salad sometimes. The only example that comes to mind, just because I, I was actually talking about it with a friend the other day, because I've not seen it, but Doctor Who, my friend described the Jodie Whittaker season, again, which I've not seen, so I'm not throwing any shade, I'm just taking from what they've said, but they said Jodie Whittaker is a fantastic actor, but the material they had to work with was really bad. And because of that, their season didn't land as well as it should have done, and they should and they deserved so much more for how important a season that was going to be in the pantheon of Doctor Who. And ultimately, if you haven't got good material to work with, or there's no way for you to be able to elevate that material with what you have to work with, then what do you do? I mean, arguably, Vinnie Jones' character works well because he's just being overtly freaking British. And that's the only reason it stands out. Just Vinnie Jones just turned up being British to about a, to about an eight or a nine on his scale. Yeah. No. Agreed. Agreed. So yeah, I think. I mean, the material itself is not particularly great to write home about either. So I can see. I can see your point there. Um, but yeah, it's just like. It's like I, I think I even with like certain aspects of this film, I think if you actually had a character that you would really want to root for and you really felt behind. It goes some way to like, not say lifting the glumness of it, but it's just, it gives some way to kind of going, okay, we're sticking with this film because we believe in this character and we follow and we want to follow this character and we want to see this character succeed. And during the film, I don't get that with Stone Cold's character. I just, it's just, oh, well, he's deciding to fight now because he has to fight. Oh, good. Well done, Stone Cold. Listen to Nickelback. Mm. There we so go. I was just thinking about it because we've been discussing sort of like a lot of the whys like there's just a lot of plot holes missing quite frankly like character backstory in general we've touched on a little bit 
But the lack of character backstory is insane in this film with the amount of like, I mean, what is it? Eight, eight, ten people in this death game, if you will. We only know the backstory at most of about three of them, I think off the top of my head. You look at, for example, this is a random analogy, but I'll go with it. But James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, for the amount of insane amounts of characters that film had, you still know far more backstory about it in a in like a 30 second montage because they give you a quick introduction. We know nothing about yeah. these characters in this death game. Yeah, and I think before you get a chance to actually know them, they are written out and killed. Um, there's, I think there's one of the prisoners who's actually trying to figure out how to take the, the bracelet, like the, the explosive bracelet off their ankle in the film. Each of them get a, a bracelet that will blow them up if they even remove it, or if someone takes a bit out of it. And you see for a while, this guy's actually trying to figure out a way of how he can actually do it. And ultimately goes nowhere because another, another one of the prisoners just kind of hangs out of him, just goes, I'm just going to take this now and make you blow up. Boop, bang, end. It's like, great. Well, that 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 subplot went effing nowhere in that sort of way. So it's like, yeah, I see, I see, I see where you're coming from on that. But anyway, um, we'll we'll do some final thoughts. We'll do some final thoughts on the condemned in a, in a few moments. So let's talk about budget and box office on this because this was released only in America for cinemas. It had home video release pretty much everywhere else. Uh, so this is from thenumbers.com. So this film had a budget of twenty million dollars. Which is extraordinary, considering it didn't look like a great film either. And I know you had you had fun with the with the film transfer of this on your on your TV. Yeah, this is a random point. If you're if you've got this far into this podcast and you've not seen the film, a forewarning from me and, and Ian has seen some photos I've taken of my TV to prove this. Whatever has happened with the Amazon Prime stream for about a third of this film, I'm just watching like dark blue silhouettes. It's quite impressive how bad this film transfer looks on the Amazon Prime stream. At one point, I literally couldn't tell what characters were on the screen. Like, Stone Cold, you can kind of figure out from his silhouette. At one point, I just had no idea who was on camera. It was quite quite random. Uh, but, um, but yeah, film had 20 million budget. Uh, in its total cinema run, it made 7.4 uh, million. So that's a new that's US box office. Uh, in terms of home media sales, it made about twenty three million. So it, re- it ultimately recouped the budget on home video, but theatrical is where it counts. Yeah. So yeah, so usually usually a rule of thumb, I think for and this is something I've, I've learned from listening to other podcasts like the Weekly Planet, which is a great film podcast. If you do listen to if you like your movie podcasts, do go out and listen to them. They are amazing. They're amazing Australian podcasters. But usually the way they, they've kind of analyzed is basically the film needs to at least break even theoretically by doubling its budget and maybe a little bit more just to cover some marketing. So it's not so while it kind of recouped the 20 million, it, it's not necessarily a success, but it's not necessarily a colossal failure. Um, and it's clear it's clearly a well they went back to because Condemned 2 came out a couple of years later with the sequel machine of WWE Studios, Randall Keith Orton, <laughs> in the Condemned 2, which I haven't seen. I might see it down the line. I mean, I've seen the trailers and it's it, it, it's still a kind of a similar premise, but it's a lot more about people gambling on what happens next rather than kind of, we're going to stream it to the world side of things. So it's kind of like there are films like that out there. Uh, the Tournament with Robert Carlyle and I think... Uh, 
Uh, Ving Rhames is one of those, as well as there's another one. There's another one out there. Uh, even like the undisputed, uh, like towards the tail end when Scott Atkins took over the lead role, like the undisputed series, it becomes a lot more about placing bets to see who wins, dies, and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, so that that's your budget. So um, so let's let's let's, let's sum let's sum up this in yeah, let's sum up this film. So The Condemned is it a good film? For me, no, no, it isn't. Um, I think despite the fact we've got Stone Cold, one of the most charismatic wrestlers in WWE there, the, it's, the materials either let him down or just something's just not clicked there. And it's, it's, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily that I would re- like return to, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think you, you want to see Stone Cold kick ass and, and do like good old wisecracks. You don't get this in the film at all. He kicks occasional ass. He has the odd wisecrack, but he just, it just, it's not the complete package. He gets to throw a grenade in a helicopter. That's about the amount of wisecrack he can do. Pretty much. Uh, you have Vinnie Jones doing the Vinnie Jones-esque role. It does what it sells in the tin. Uh, and again, side characters that either they're there with no real purpose except to be killed or just written off very nastily. And like I said, there's, there's no, there's no, there's nothing really to really sink your teeth in and say, you can enjoy this film. It's not a pleasant film. It's not particularly something that I probably will go out my way to watch again, to be perfectly honest, even for like a retrospective. I just like, I mean, what I think I've watched it too many times now. And it's like, I, I'm done with this. Completely I'm agree. There are, there are, there are better WWE studio films out there and we will be covering those in, in later episodes. Um, so uh, any, any final thoughts on that before we go to the, to the final ranking of The Condemned? Just just watch the trailer. <laughs> just watch the trailer. Basically. Watch the trailer. No, literally, it's... This film, it's... It could have been so much more and I wanted it to be so much more. But it just it is. It, this isn't even a film you can have on in the background, just as like while you're doing some work on a computer or something. It's not even that. It's too depressing. It's just, it's just not fun, quite frankly. And if you're not a fan of violence and brutality, you're gonna freaking hate this film. I'll tell you that. But mm. I mean, I have no reason to try and give a plus point. But even from just like we've said it a few times now. From the perspective of looking back in time at how things were perceived in, around the year 2006, 2007, when this was made, and looking at it through 2023 eyes, it's genuinely quite fascinating to see from a technology point of view where things were at. On a human level, freaking deplorable some of the characters, and it's utterly horrid some of the dialogue that's said as well, the way they refer to people and whatnot and like how they're talking about different regions of territories and who who they need to be able to root behind i think there's one moment where stone cold's character who is like a replacement for someone else who got killed in transit is outright talked about oh look we don't have anyone that the, you know that the, the i think they outright say and forgive me if this sounds bad but i think they outright say who are the arabs gonna cheer for and then they say, oh, they'll root against this Jack guy because he's an American. They hate Americans at the moment. That'll do. It's like, wow, flipping heck. Like, yeah. it's just awful the way that they're they're perceiving people. But if you want to get if you want to get if you want me to hate the main villain, it's not that I hate him. I just don't want anything to do with him, quite frankly. It's like, no, I just don't want to be around you. I don't want to I don't want to hear anything you say. Get off my screen. Oh, you can't. We're only ten minutes into the film. Okay. 
And it's go, it's go away. It's nuclear go away heat. It's not nuclear as in they hate you because they think you're a real bad villain or a great villain. It's no, they just don't bloody like you. Do you know, actually, th- th- this uh, kind of sums up my thoughts on the film, actually. Now that you said the go away heat thing, if mm. I'd have had the option to turn this film off after about 10 or 15 minutes without missing a beat, I would have done it. That's how much I enjoyed this. But having to endure the rest of it, it was just like, okay, sure. But I, I would not, I genuinely would not recommend this to people only for the reason, like I say, of looking back from a technology perspective of some of the concepts and things that they had come up with. Fair enough. So I, I, I've, I have a little tier list system for this. So we have five, we have five little areas we could possibly put this film in. Now, let's be honest, it's not going in amazing or must watch. So let's move straight on. So it's not going to be at the top and amazing. It's not even going to be at great. It's not going to be at okay. It's it's between the bottom two here, which is disappointing or terrible slash avoid. I think based on our conversation, I'm more inclined to put it in the terrible group. What are your thoughts? Absolute bottom of the barrel. If that was below the bottom of the barrel, I would put it in there, honestly. I think it's settled. I think we're going to put it in terrible. Now, now if I may, the condemned has been condemned. Ah, indeed. Condemned to just being terrible. Ah, and that is that. So we are going to start drawing things to a close here. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, Jeremy is going to be joining me in a future episode where we are going to be, we're going to move off the dangerous islands of criminals and we're going to go into a deadly game of cat and mouse and trying to find a bomb with Dolph Ziggler in 2016 countdown. So he will be back to join me for that one. But coming up next on our cinematic adventure will be 2012's Bending the Rules with Edge and Jamie Kennedy. So if you have enjoyed listening to this episode and you would like more wrestling related content, then hit the podcast subscribe button to get fresh episodes of the Bunker Mania Wrestling Podcast as soon as they are released. Uh, We do audio podcast reviews of the big WWE and AEW shows like WrestleMania, Double or Nothing, and even some side little tangents as well. Um, So yes, if you like that sort of stuff as well, hit subscribe. You'll get that content straight into your feeds. And if you also like video content, then follow Bunker Mania UK on YouTube for content where we make predictions, review shows, and again, we, we talk about the latest going on in the world of wrestling. There's always new content every week, even live streams as well. So we would also like to hear your thoughts about wrestling. Have you seen and the wrestling and the movies? Have you seen The Condemned? Did you like it? What's your favorite WWE Studios movie? Super kick an email over to me at contact at bunkermania.com. And with that... That is this episode of Bunker Mania Wrestling Goes to the Movies over and done with. Thank you very much for listening. I have been the Decadane, joined by Jeremy Graves. And uh, yes, thank you so much for listening. I hope you join us again soon. Until then, ta-ta. The only way is up. We hope.